We're now going to examine some of the actual historical events in which Shroshim did come down and since we know the principles that determine how the Rebbeinu will act in order to conceal from the Sitrachra, we now can understand why these conditions happened, why the events of their birth and growth actually happened the way they did. And the first area or the first event that we will examine is the idea or the event of Lloyd, who of course was the nephew of Avram, and Benoisov and his daughters. Now, if you recall the story that after Sodom, they were of course rescued from Sodom by the Malochim, and what happened is they fled Sodom and they ran into the mountains and they ran into a cave. Okay? Now, they thought, or rather the daughters thought, that they were the only ones left. They thought that mankind was completely destroyed. Because the daughter said that there is no man among uh, men living, okay, that we can have children with. Therefore, the daughters thought that there was no man alive. They thought that the, the uh, destruction of Sodom was really the destruction of the world. Therefore, they felt that they wanted to have children, and the only one available, of course, was their father. Lloyd. So therefore they came up with this ploy that what they would do is get Lloyd drunk and then the oldest would first engage the father in relationship and as a result of that the Torah tells us from that union came Moyov, the nation of Moyov and the oldest daughter named the child Moyov which means Mayov from my father which doesn't show too much modesty. In any case the youngest, the second daughter, the youngest daughter she took the second night, and the union from that particular relationship was Amoin. She named the do- she named the son Bnei, uh, Bnei uh, Ami, child of my people, which of course refers to my people means her father. So she was more modest, and Amoin, who was of course the founder of the nation of Amoin, Amoin and Moyev, Amoin came from the second daughter. Now, what happened was is that the neshama of David. The Neshama of Dover HaMelech descended at that point while this kind of relationship was going on between daughter and father and it went into Moyov, the individual called Moyov. That's where Dover HaMelech's Neshama first made entrance into in this world. Now, in other words, Dover HaMelech, who is the Shuresh, the root of Mashiach ben David, and after Yehuda lost the eight or the stock, the main uh, main um, uh, area of the Mashiachas, because it says, as I had mentioned previously, he lost it because he sold Yosef. Therefore, Dover HaMelech got, got it. Therefore, what happens is that the, the Shurish of the Mashiach ben David and the Yesuid of the Mashiach ben David, the main foundation that made, now went into Moyov and we see, interestingly enough, that this neshama comes down through incest, that here is a daughter having relationships with her father, so there we have incest. Again, so therefore here is the tumor that we see, which is Sitra Akra, is obviously not going to see what's going on. In addition, that the one who brings down the neshama of Dover HaMelech is not Avram Avinu, but Lloyd, Lloyd and his daughters. You think that the Yichus of Dover HaMelech would be not from Lloyd and his daughters, but from Avram. Instead, we find that Dover HaMelech is descending through an incestuous relationship, 
Okay, and the second thing he's descending, of course, is not from Yichus, from Avram, he's descending from Lot. Now, as a result of this, as I had said, the Nishama of David, or his Shurish, went into the oldest, the, the oldest daughter's son, Moev. Then eventually, it went through Moev for hundreds and hundreds of years, and it finally descended into Rus. Rus finally as a result of the fact that she remained righteous, she picked up that wandering Shirish of Dovra Melech that was already down, and it finally went into Rus. And when Rus married Boyaz, it went into Klai Yisrael. That's how that Shirish had to wander to get into Klai Yisrael. That Shirish in Mamashti Yesuit of the Mashiach bin David. Now, that's in terms of Moab, which is the oldest daughter's son. Now, in terms of the youngest daughter's son, which is Amon, we find, interestingly, that Rus married Boaz, and from them came Dovod HaMelech. Amon, his descendant was Naamor, who married Shlomo HaMelech, and they gave birth to Rechavam, which of course is the lineage of the Mashiach bin Dovod himself. Therefore, Rechavam the Neshama, he descended again through incest with the second daughter, and again through Lloyd and not Avram. He descended, of course, into the youngest, uh, the youngest daughter's son, Amoy. Then finally, this Shirish Neshama finally entered into Naamor, and from Naamor, who was um, who was an Amoyni, of course, that Neshama went into Klai Israel because she married Shlomo, and therefore they gave birth to Rechava. So we see. That Dovra Melech, who is the eighth, the Shirish and the Yisuid of the Mashiach Ben David, and Rechavam, who is also a Shirish of Mashiach Ben David, and not only that, which we will see later, that Rechavam was supposed to be the true Mashiach Ben David, as we will see later, because Yerobam was supposed to be was supposed to be Mashiach Ben Yosef, and Rechavam was supposed to be Mashiach Ben David. However, that attempt failed, as we will see later on when I talk about Rechavam and Yerobam. But in any case, we see that. The Neshama, the Shirish of the Mashiach of Ben David, of Dovar HaMelech, who was a Shirish, and the actual Yisoyed of the Mashiach Ben David, and also Rechavam, who was supposed to be the Mashiach Ben David, that they came down through Tumor, through apparent Chet, which is incestuous relationships between Lloyd and his daughters, and also they came down through Noichus, through Lloyd instead of Avram. So here's a classic example of how the Rebbe brought down the Shirish of the Mashiach Ben David into the universe, the world, into the world, physical world, and he concealed it from the Sitra Akhra by having an incestuous relationship give birth to these particular Shrosham of both the first daughter and the second daughter. And therefore, Dovra Melech, of course, was brought down and also Rechavim, because Rus is the forerunner, is the great grandmother of Dovra Melech, when she married, of course, Boaz. And uh, Naamo the Amoinis, she was the mother of Rechavam. And these were the two descendants that emerged from these particular relationships. So here we see in history exactly how the theoretical foundation or framework which I had previously presented actually manifests itself in history. Now, interesting enough, you find this, where do we find this in Chazal? I'm merely telling you the answers or the actual pshat. The Remez, where do we find this in Chazal? The Medrash says, it says the Posik, after 
Avram came up from Egypt and Lot was with him. It says, "Vegam Lot," and also to Lot, "Ahuliches Avram that went with Avram, Hoyotzin, he had flock, boko, he had of course uh, um, oxen and so on. Veoyholim and he had tents. And the Medrash says that Oyholim and he had tents means he had two tents because Oyholim is plural. That that is Maramas to two tents, which means to the two houses or two descendants of Lot, through, of course, his daughters. One is Rus Hamuavia, one is Rus from Moyov, and the second is Naamor who descends, of course, from Amain. So you see, the Medrash says that Oyholim by Lot alludes to the fact that from him will descend those two individuals, Rus. And Namor. And from them, of course, will begin the Davidic line. The in addition, it says in the Medrash, it says in the Posik in Chumash, Kum, when the Malochim tell Lloyd, when they tell him to flee Sudan, they say, Kum, arise, Kach is Ishtacha, take your wife, Yashtay bin and your two daughters, Hanim Tsois, that are found here, and of course, flee Sudan because you will be included in the destruction of Sudan if you don't. Now, the Medrash observes that it doesn't make sense. It should say, arise, take your wife and your two daughters, and of course, flee. Why does it say, take your wife and your two daughters, which are found here? Obviously, they're found here. So, the, that is an extra word. So, the Medrash darshans or expounds that it means this. Kum, take, kaches ishtucho, your wife, and your two daughters. That hanim tzoyz that have or will emanate from them two things which are found. When you find something, it's a precious thing, it's a valuable thing. In other words, there are two metzios, two found objects, which the daughters will give rise to. One is Rus, which of course will, will be, one is of course Rus, which bears the neshama of Dover HaMelech, which originally started from the son of the older daughter, Moyer. And the second Nimtso found item, of course, is Naamor, who of course will bear Rechavam, and uh, <coughs> Rechavam, and of course, uh, which originated from Amoin, who was the son of the second daughter. Now, it is interesting to note that the 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 used the lotion Hanim Tzois that is found. Okay, when it says take your wife and your two daughters away from Sodom and Hanim Tzois and those things which are found with them. That's the drosha, that's the, the uh, particular uh, lesson which is being learned. We use the lotion of Metsio, found. Now, if you, if, it's, it's very easy to understand that the uh, uh, Metsio, when you walk and you find something, that this object is totally unexpected to be here. That's what, it's a, that's what a Metsio is. Something which is found is an object which is valuable, but it's totally unexpected. You automatically, you by accident, or unwittingly chance upon an object. That's when it's called a metzio. If you know it's there, it's not called a metzio. It's not called that something you found. So therefore, this is, of course, tells us that the neshama of Dover Amelech in Rus, and originally in Moyov, the son of the oldest daughter, and the neshama of Rechavim, which was a Namor, which of course comes from Amoin, which is the son of the second daughter, was totally ex unexpected to the Sitra Akhra. That's why it's called the Mitzvahs. 
that it's a metzio, it's found here. And he himself, the Sitra Akra, was not aware that it's found here. He was not aware that it entered the Brio through Moyev and Amoin, and he was not aware that it went through Amon and Moya for hundreds of years until it finally rested in the, of course, the uh, individuals of Rus and Naamor. That's why it's used in Ipsois. They are found here automatically and unwittingly. And therefore it was unexpected to the Sitra Akhra. And while I'm mentioning the idea of, of, of found, it says, the Medish continues and says that it says, Motsosi Dovid Avdi, I have found my servant Dovid. So the Medrash says, where? Where did I find him? Find him? And the answer is in Sidoim. God found Dovid Amalek in Sidoim. Now we know what that means. That he found him in Sidoim, meaning Lut and his daughters were in Sidoim. That's where the Rabbani Shalom found them. But why all of a sudden did he find them that they were unexpected? Not that they were unexpected to the Rabbani Shalom, but they were unexpected to the Sitra Akhra because they were concealed from the Sitra Akhra. In other words, the Sitra Akhra did not expect that Lut and his daughters were fleeing an evil place like Sedoim where they actually lived. So obviously you can't say too much good things about Lut if he's living in a place as evil as Sedoim. That Lut and his daughter have no yichus. It's not our Ramavinu. There's no yichus mitzah themselves. And also that the, these, uh, these uh, individuals, <coughs> or rather, what is going on in that cave is chet, chatoim, sins, incestuous relationships. Therefore, the, the, uh, the language that Tehillim uses is Matsosi Dovid Avdi. I have found Dovid my servant because Dovid Amelech's entrance into the world is unexpected to the Sitra Akhra. And therefore, I can tell you another idea that it says in Davening. Okay, umotsoso es levovoi nemon lefunecho by Avram Avinu. It says by by Vorch David. Okay, umotsoso es levovoi nemon lefunecho, and you have found his heart faithful to you. And again, it uses the lashon motso that God found by accident the heart of Avram Avinu faithful to him. What do you mean found? It's not unexpected to the Rebbeinu It was unexpected to the Sitra Achra that Avram Avinu would be righteous. Why? Because if you recall, I had said that Avram Avinu was a Shurish the Mashiach ben David. Therefore, who is the father of, of, of Avram Avinu? Terach. You would not expect that Terach, who is one of the strong idol worshippers, would actually produce an offspring like Avram Avinu. So that's another way the Rabbani Shalom slipped down the Shurish of the Mashiach ben David into, a, into the offspring of Terach and that the Sitrach was not aware because he doesn't look for that kind of relationships that uh, Terach who is an idol worshipper is involved in Chatoim and it also says that Terach used to re, uh, have relationships with his wife when she was a Nidor okay? so therefore one would not expect that the Shirish of the Mashiach bin David, who is Avram Avinu, would come down to Terach and his wife, who are involved in basically wrong relationships while she's a Nido, okay, while she's seeing blood, and also that there's no Yichus. The man is an idol worshipper. Therefore, we find the same notion of Umatsoso as the Vovoi Nemun Fanecho, that God unexpectedly found, of course, he knew it was there all the time, but he unexpectedly found because it was surprising to the Sitra Akhra 
that you had Avraham Avinu coming out, and of course, the surprising to the Sitra Akhra that there was the Shoirish of the Mashiach ben David. And it also says in Tehillim, Lam Natseach al Tashches, do not destroy the David Mikhtam, written by David a Mikhtam. When, when, when Dovr HaMelech ran away from Shaul and he ran to a cave, he wrote a Tehillah, and it's one of Tehillim. And it says there, the Medrash says, that he prayed to God and he said that you showed mercy to others, to Lot and his daughters in a cave. In other words, you saved them from Sodom. Why did the Rebbe save Lot from Sodom and his daughters? For my sake. Dovar HaMelech says, for my sake, so that my Nishama should enter the Bria in that guise. So therefore he says, so he's, pray, he's praying, Dovar HaMelech, therefore don't destroy me, you save them for my sake, so surely you can save me also. In other words, you save them in the cave for my sake, so surely you can save me, who has to run into a cave also, and not destroy me. So therefore, we now understand the, uh, that this is one of the classic events how the Neshama of Dover HaMelech and Rechavim, how they descended to the world in terms of in the midst of illicit relationships, incestuous relationships, in the midst of no Yichus at all. And as I mentioned, we find the same idea with Avram when he was born, of course, to Terach. Now, and the last, or I just want to mention other ideas, that, that, they, that one daughter, the older daughter, said to the young daughter, and let us make sure that we can preserve from our father seed. So the Medrash says that one daughter didn't say that we should have children from our father, but that we should preserve seed from our father. Because prophetically they were saying that what we want to preserve is not children, but we want to bring down the seed of David, the shirish of the Indian of the Mashiach bin David. That's what we want to bring down. Because he will have other parents down the line. You know, it's to them it was merely see an offspring that they wouldn't be the parents of Lloyd and his oldest daughter and Lloyd and his youngest daughter. So they wanted to bring down Zerah or seed that this individual or Sherish would have parents later on. And this the Medrash of course expounds on. And interestingly enough, the Medrash says, it says that they intoxicated their father in order to have a relationship with him. So the Medrash says, where did he get the wine? Where did they get wine that they were able to intoxicate light? So the Medrash says that the Rabbanishnam made it that a well of wine came out from the mountain. In other words, the Rabbanishnam himself provided them with the wine that they can intoxicate their father. So we see that he enabled the event to occur in order for the Shrushim to come down. Which shows, of course, that the uh, Rabbanishnam uh, wanted to bring, of course, the Shrushim down by this guise in order to conceal it from the Sitra Akhra. And I'll, I, it also says in Yoel, it says that in the Messianic times, and it will be in that day, that uh, springs or fountains of wine will flow from the mountains. And what it, that, of course, is alluding because by the Rabbanishlam enabling them to get wine from a fountain, he is indicating in his own cryptic way. <clears throat> that, that what they are now about to do is usher in the messianic, the, the, the ability of the messianic times to arrive 
And therefore it's alluded by an event which will truly occur in the messianic times. Namely that there will be a well of, of, of wine that flows from the mountains. And uh, which is interesting that this is what's Marumas and the, the miracle which occurred for the daughters of Lloyd. The next event or the next incident where we see that the Rabbani Shlulam uh, conceals from the Sitra Akhra that which he's about to do. In other words, the next incident which involves a shirish of the Mashiach ben Dovid descending, and therefore it needs this concealment from the Sitra Akhra, is the incident of Yehuda and Tamar. Now, the, we know that the reason why the Rabbanishnam hides from the Sitra Akhra the fact that he's about to allow a shirish of the Mashiach ben Dovid to descend is in order that the Sitra Akhra should not makatreg, no, it should not prosecute. Because, the, as I mentioned previously, the Sitra Akhra, of course, always tries to prosecute, especially when he feels that a great Nisham is about to come down, and therefore this, this can cause tremendous hashpor, tremendous influence or enlightenment to the Jewish people. So therefore, of course, he prosecutes and says that Kleisvel does not deserve this. Now, by Yehud and Tama, we can ask, what was the Kitra? In other words, do, do we know, is there any way that turns Maramas to us? In what way the, the Sitra Akhra or the Sultan, in his position as a Makatrig, as a prosecutor, what could, have he, what could he have used as his ammunition in not allowing some kind of a Sheresh of Mashiach bin David to descend in the incident of Yehuda and Toma? And the truth is that the Torah itself is Megala, that there was a Kitruk. And uh, it starts off the parasha, right after the sale of Yosef to the uh, Yishmaelim, uh, and that were going to Egypt. In other words, right after the brothers sold Joseph, Yosef, who was of course now going to descend to Egypt, it now starts the parasha of Yehudun Tomo. And it says there, the first pasuk, Vayirid Yehudu me'is echov, and Yehuda descended, or he went down from his brothers. Now, in that pasuk itself, we see what the Kitrug against Yehuda was. Rashi says that when it says that Judah went down from his brothers, it means that his brothers degraded him from his high position that he formerly held. Why? Because <clears throat> he indicated or he presented a lack of leadership. This is what they told him. So therefore they degraded him from his leadership role. They told him when they came back and they saw how sad, how incredibly pained their father was, Yaakov, they said to him that had you told us not to sell Joseph, Yosef, we would have listened to you. So therefore they actually had a claim against Yehudo, why he didn't exercise his leadership, and had he said not to sell Yosef, they would have listened to him. So therefore we see, <clears throat> so therefore his brothers degraded him from that leadership role because he should have exercised the leadership role and they would have listened to him had he said not to sell Yosef. This is what they said to him after they saw the tsar, the pain of Yaakov. Now, as a result of this, Yehuda, there was a tremendous kitrit because what was happening? Yosef was, as I had mentioned previously, was the Yisuid of the Mashiach bin Yosef. In other words, he was not just a Shirish of the Mashiach bin Yosef. And a Shirish of Mashiach bin Yosef means an individual who can receive the kingship or the Yechidah of the Mashiachos. He can become a Mashiach, 
if the time is ready. But he was the Yesuit of the Mashiach bin Yosef, which means that he himself would emanate other Shrashim. In other words, Yosef was the trunk of the tree, the main stock from which other Nishamas would emanate into other bodies and be born, and the other people would be Shirish of Mashiach bin Yosef. He who would give rise to the other souls would himself be the Yesui, the foundation, the main trunk itself. And that's what Yosef was. Now, when Yehuda allowed Yosef to be sold and actually contributed to the selling of Yosef, what does that mean? It means that he deposed Yosef from his position. He actually removed Yosef from his status as a Yesui of the Mashiach of Yosef. Why? Because if uh, slavery in Egypt, of course, is basically a living death. Actually, if you think about it, perhaps it would have been better for the brothers to have killed Yosef than to have sold him to slavery. Because a slave in Egypt was the lowest social wrong. It was a terrible uh, uh, living conditions, and it was anyway only a short amount of time that a person died as a slave. And there was actually no hope. It was terrible anguish to be a slave in any of the ancient countries. And therefore, by selling Yosef, what they were really condemning him, of course, is to a living death, and ultimately a death in itself. And it actually is more horrible way of dying by becoming a slave and then dying. Now, in any case, as a result of that, since they all knew that by selling him to Egypt, basically it was all finished for Yosef, therefore what Yehuda did is he deposed, he removed Yosef from the status or the position as the Mashiach bin Yosef in terms of his being a Yisoyed. Therefore, the kitrig against Yehuda was, and there was certainly a kitrig, is that he himself does not deserve to be a Yisoyed of the Mashiach bin David. It, in which, and, and that's exactly what Yehuda was until that point. Yehuda was the foundation of the Meshuchus ben David, and from Yehuda would emanate Shroshim. Therefore, the kitrug against Yehuda was is that he should not be, be the Esoid of the Mashiach ben David. This was a tremendous kitrug that, of course, was against Yehuda at that time. Now, also a kitrig was, besides the fact that he shouldn't be a Shirish, or rather a Yisoyed of the Mashiach ben David, he certainly shouldn't bring down other Shroshim. He doesn't deserve it. Since he deposed Yosef from his status as a Yisoyed of Mashiach ben Yosef, he therefore deserves to lose his status as a Yisoyed, and he certainly does not deserve to bring down other Shroshim. Therefore, therefore he, as a result of that, he lost the Yisoyed of Mashiach ben David. That is why we do not say Mashiach ben Yehuda, because Mashiach ben Yehuda would mean that he's Mashiach, a descendant of Yehuda, who was the Yisoid, the principal, and this individual who was a Mashiach and, and merely a root from the original Yisoid, meaning Yehuda, is therefore only a descendant. He's a ben Yehuda. And even though you know, he's just a Sherish that has the Yehuda and therefore is the Mashiach, but his Sherish itself comes from Yehuda, who is the Yisoid. We do not say Mashiach ben Yehuda because they took away the Yisoid or the foundation of the Mashiach ben David and they gave it to Dover HaMelech. That's why we say Mashiach ben David because Dover HaMelech became the Yisoid of the Mashiach ben David. And that's why he's called, of course, all Mashiachan are called Mashiach ben David. And that is indicated, of course, in the Pasuk of Vayirid Yehud Me'is Echov that Yehud went down from upon his brothers Vayir Yehud means he descended, means he lost the Mashiachos, or Ovedle Hamalchos, that royalty was lost to him. He was no more the Yisoyed of the Mashiach ben David. It was given to Dover HaMelech, and therefore, of course, he's no more referred to, of course, or any Mashiachan 
are normally referred to as a shush of the Mashiach ben Yehuda. And the Mashiach himself, of course, is not, a Mashiach, uh, is not the Mashiach ben Yehuda, but is, of course, the Mashiach ben Dovah. This is what happened to Yehuda as a result of the Kitrug against him. Now, as I mentioned, therefore, not only was there a Kitrug against Yehuda not to be a Yisoyed because he deposed Yosef from him being a Yisoyed, but also there was a Kitrug that Yehuda certainly shouldn't bring down any more Shrashim. Therefore, Obviously, if the Rabbanishlam wants to allow a new shirsh to descend, a new shirsh of the Indian of Ben Dovet, then obviously what must be is that this shirsh has to descend in great hester, in great concealment, because of the kitrug against Yehudo. So in other words, we see that the Torah itself indicates why any new shirsh that Yehudo would bring in would come through tremendous hester. In other words, the, the line that Dovid HaMelech would come from it. Now ultimately the Mashiach when Dovid would have to be brought down Behester because there's a tremendous kitrig against Yehuda as indicated from Vayirid Yehuda. And in truth he did lose the Yisoyed of the Mashiach when Dovid. But the kitrig was also that he shouldn't have any Shroshim coming from him. Therefore the Rabbi if he wants to bring down new Shrosh would have to hide from the Sitra Akhra and therefore conceal it. And of course, this would be, have to be concealed in Great Hester. Now, as the story goes on, so therefore this is the initial introduction that the Torah gives to what's about to transpire. That since Vayered Yehuda, Judah, Yehuda descended from his Meshichus, from his being Yisoyed, therefore his children that he would give birth to, from which Dovar HaMelech and ultimately the Mashiach, Ben Dovid, would descend, would have to be done from Hester. That Pasuk is an introduction <clears throat> in terms of the future events which are now about to transpire in the life of Yehuda. Now, Yehuda married and he had two sons. One was Er and then Oinoin. And the third son he had Shiloh. Okay, three sons. And he took Tamar and he married her off to his son Er. Now, it says in the Pasuk that, er, that Tamar married Er, of course, and Er died. Now, after Er died, Yehuda took Tamar and he married her off to Oinon. Why? Because there is a great soy or Kabbalistic mystery in what's called Yibum or Leveret marriage. And that when the husband of a woman dies childless, then it is an obligation of a close kin or relative to marry this woman. And this is called Leveret marriage or it's called Yibum. And in the days before Matan Torah, any close relative could perform this type of kedushin, this type of marriage. And what would happen is that Kabbalistically, the neshama of the deceased brother, or the deceased husband I should say, would then descend into the child. And in some way, the deceased husband's memory would have a preservation. It would, it would, there would be a remembrance to the deceased husband. Now, before Mount Torah, any close relative could do including the father-in-law himself. And then they were called Goyal, the one who would perform this Yabem, the Yavama, the sister-in-law, would be called a Goyal, a redeemer, okay? Because he would perpetuate or preserve the name of the deceased husband. After the Torah was given, of course, this same ceremony became only true in the brother of the, uh, of the husband who died childless. Therefore, of course, Yibim can only be done by the uh, brother or the, uh, the brother of the deceased uh, um, individual. 
This is after Mantura. But as I said before Mantura, of course, this could be done by anybody, including the father-in-law or any close kin. And Kabbalistically, of course, as mentioned, there's a great seed or idea or secret in the entire mitzvah or concept of Yibum, leveret marriage. Now, therefore, what uh, Yehuda, knowing, of course, these nyanam of Yibum, even before the Torah was given, wanted Oynon, or rather Toma, to marry Oynon in order to carry on the memory of Er. And she married him. But the Rabbani Shalom killed him also before, before they themselves had any children. And therefore, Thomas said, give me Shelob. But Yehuda was afraid already because she had succeeded in killing two of his sons and therefore he figured that there was something wrong with her. So he put her off with a pretext. So he said, well, wait until he's grown up and then I'll give you Shelob. And of course, and he told her, go back to your father's house. And of course, she went back and she saw as Shelob grew up that Yehuda was obviously not going to give her Shelob. So she therefore decided that she's going to uh, uh, do something in order to bring about the fact that she can uh, carry on or perpetuate to preserve the name of her dead husband who now ha- had to be heir and oinon, not just heir. And so her first motive was, of course, a great chesed that she wanted to do, that she wanted her husband to have, or, or husbands to have a memory, to have some kind of perpetuation of their name. The second motive that she had was that she wanted also to be, uh, to, ha- to have uh, Judah's descendants coming from her also. She wanted to be part of Christ's rule. Uh, so because of these two lofty motives, the revolution therefore made her plan succeed in several ways. What was her plan? She decided that she would go to the crossroads and she would uh, dress and she would present herself as a prostitute. And she waited until Yehuda passed by because she knew he was going to a certain place and she made a proposal to Yehuda. Now, the Torah says, interesting enough, <coughs> that in the Medrash, Rabbi Yechman says a very interesting idea. But actually, before I just say this, let me just mention that uh, Yehuda then had relationships with her, and she conceived right away from that union, and from that union came parents. This is what happened ultimately. In other words, <coughs> she played as a prostitute, and of course, uh, he acceded, and from that union came parrots, and from parrots, of course, comes the Mashiach uh, Dover Hamelach, and from Dover Hamelach, of course, ultimately comes the Mashiach Ben Dovid. Now, the Medrash says, interestingly enough, Rabbi Yechonin says that Yehuda, when he passed the crossroads, he wanted to go on. I mean, Yehuda was an incredible tzaddik, even though what he did to Yosef, but he was obviously a, uh, he was one of the Shvatim, so he was obviously a tremendous tzaddik. And of course he was going to pass her by. There was no question. But what Rabbi Hashem did is he sent the Malach who was in charge of taiva or lust because the, uh, the drives of the body are actually um, uh, given by different Malachim who control different aspects of the guf. In any case, what Rabbi Hashem did is he sent this Malach and this Malach appeared before Yehuda and he said to him, it doesn't mean he said to him, but rather he exclaimed concerning Yehuda, it's figurative. And he said to him that, how can you go by? In other words, he said to him that, where will Malachim arise? Where will great men arise if you go by? This is what the Malach said. And as a result of that, he increased the taiva of Yehuda to such an extent that Yehuda had no Bechira. And the Medrash says that he had no Bechira, he had no free will. 
and as a result of the fact that his drive was tremendously increased, he had no free will, and therefore he had, of course, relations with Toma, who he thought was a Zaina, who he thought was a prostitute. Now, as a result of this, uh, of course, she conceived, and then she gave birth, of course, to parrots. Now, what do we see from this medrash? Now, when the Malach said to him, before he increased his taiva, tells us really the entire mechanism of how the Rebbe uh, enables the Mashiachan to descend. And that's what really the Malach was saying. He said that, how can you go by? From where will kings arise? In other words, where will the kings who are the Mashiachan arise? Where will Gedalim arise? In other words, where will great Nishamas arise? Only through the method of Tumah or Zima. Because this is the way that the Rabbi Nishlam uses to hide from the Sitra Akhra what he's doing. So obviously, what the Malach was saying to him before he did, before he actually took away the Bakhir of Yehuda, is he was providing the rationale of why he was doing this. And he said to him that since there's great Kitrug against you, Yehuda, and there's great, great Kitrugim against Klai Israel always, how will the Rabbi Nishlam be able to bring down the Mishikhan or great Neshamas if there's always Kitrugim? The only way to do it is through Tumah, through this method. So therefore, I am forcing you to live with Tumah, and you can't just leave away, go away. So therefore, obviously, he took away Bechira from him. And of course, the Malach indicated, as I said, why or what the rationale of what the Malach was about to do in the first place. And we see from here that the way the Rebbe brings the Meshichan, or great Neshamas, especially Meshichan, is through Hester, which is brought about in the main through some kind of apparent chet, some kind of apparent impurity or illicit relations or whatever. But anything that looks like a chet, this is the method that the Rebbein Shalom uses. Now, in other words, only through the Hester of Tumor, basically, can you avoid Ketrugim or the prosecution attempts of the Sitra Akhra not to bring down the Inyonim of the Mashiach. And this is the method, of course, as I said, that the Russian uses to bring the Mashiachan and great Neshamas. Especially, as I mentioned, Mashiachan. Now, therefore, uh, of course, he had relations with her and from them came parrots. Now, she said to him, okay, what will you give me as payment? So he said, I'll give you a gidi, a kid from the goats of my flock, as payment. So she said, well, what will you give me as payment? pledge meantime until you go back and get this uh, particular goat so she said to him give me your signet your royal signet your signet ring your cloak that's the way Targum says it and your staff now Chazal learn say in the Medrash that when she said this she was speaking prophetically she was Musnabi she spoke with Ruach HaKodesh even though she was not aware what she said was give me your signet means give me your signet from which will arise royal royalty, which is the royal signet, the king, the ring of kings that they use to uh, use, of course, as a signet ring. That that's what it indicated. The cloak, give me a cloak, alludes to the Sanhedrin, and give me a staff. That's a staff of the Mashiach. So she herself, through Nevoah, was saying what would come from her and Yehuda, even though she didn't realize this. Now, of course, we learned in the Chumash that Yehuda. He went away and he sent her a kid, but apparently she had disappeared. Now, three, one, three months went by, and of course, and it was told to uh, Tomah, or rather it was told to Yehuda, that Tomah had sinned because after three months they saw that she was pregnant. 
So they told her that uh, Tamar had sinned. So now Tamar, the Chazal that say that Tamar was the daughter of Shem. Shem, who Chazal say, of course, was Malki Tzedek Kohen Godl. He was a, a priest. So therefore, in those days, it was the, uh, the, uh, the din, even though before Mantera, that if the daughter of a priest would have illicit relationships, she would be Chayv Sreifa, uh, to burn her. Therefore, Yehuda said, burn her, because she was the daughter of a priest. Without realizing, of course, that he was really the father of that child. Now, so she said, she of course did not, uh, she said that she pulled out this signet and this cloak and this uh, staff, and she said that whoever owns this signet, cloak, and staff, this is the one who is the father of this child. And of course, the Chumash says, Vayake Yehuda, and Yehuda recognized, of course, these three articles which were his, and he says, Vayime, and he said, Tzot Komimeni, she is right. She's right. Mimeni, Rashi learns. This child is from me. Okay, so therefore, obviously, it shows you the greatness of Yehuda, that Yehuda would rather go into a scandal, which, and this is obviously what happened, a tremendous scandal, that he actually had relations with a Zoyna, even though, interestingly enough, it, it was okay for him to have relations with Tama, because he was in line, he was a, he was, um, uh, an individual who could fulfill the mitzvah of Yibn before Matan Torah. So there was nothing wrong with his living or having relations with Tamar. But the way it was done indicated that Yehuda, of course, he had relations with a Zoyna, a prostitute. Therefore, there was, of course, a tremendous scandal. But Yehuda owned up to it, up to it because uh, the, Yehuda was an Ish Emes, even if it cost him his reputation, which it basically did. So therefore, he said, many, this child is for me. Now, the Medrash says, interestingly enough, that Mimeni was not said by Yehuda, that shot. Mimeni was said by the Rabbani Shlom. In other words, so he said like this, Vayaki Yehuda, Yehuda recognized these three items. Vayimet Sotka, and he said, she is right. And the Rabbani Shlom said, Mimeni, that this incident which occurred is not from Yehuda. He had no Bechira. It's Mimeni. It's because I wanted it to happen. I took away the Bechira from Yehuda. And obviously the reason why the Rabbani Shalom took away the Bechira from, from Yehuda was to provide the Hester, of course, for the Shirish of a Mashiach ben to descend since, of course, there was such a tremendous kitrub against Yehuda. And of course the Rabbani Shalom alluded that when he said Mimeni. So we see that in order for Yehuda to have the Shirish and to avoid the Kitrugim, the Rabbani Shalom set it up in such a way where he gave Hatzlocha to Tamar in two ways. First of all, he sent the Malach to take away the Bechira of Yehuda. So in that way, he gave success to Tamar. And second, he allowed Tamar to conceive from that relationship right away, which is very unusual. Therefore, the Rabbani gave the Siyat Shmaya for Tamar to be Matzliach because he wanted parents who would be the product of this union to come out and of course from parents would descend Dovar Melech from Dovar Melech of course would descend the Mashiach Medovar himself therefore as a result of that uh, this was the way the Rebbe provided the Hester in order for the Shirish of the Mashiach Medovar to come down through what's apparently a Chet what's in the guise of a sin or tumor namely this illicit relationship. Now, as a result, of course, of this union, I mentioned that she gave birth to Peretz and Zerach. And Peretz, of course, was the forebearer 
of Dover HaMelech and who was the forebearer, of course, of the Mashiach ben David. Therefore, we see again that the Shirish of the Mashiach ben David descends through apparent Tumah or apparent Chet in order to be mustier, to conceal from the eyes of the Sutra Akhar what is happening. And that is meant by a Pasuk, which is a very great uh, fundamental idea. It says in Eov, it says, Who can extract? Who can withdraw purity from impurity? And of course, what that alludes to is who can take purity, which is the shirish of the Meshichan, from impurity, from impure acts. Notice from where everybody would see impurity, and on the contrary, that the child who would descend for such an impure act would himself be <coughs> evil or n- n- no great neshama. On the contrary, is that from impurity itself, from the impure acts, comes purity, comes the shroshim of the Mashiachim. And that the impure acts itself are used as a disguise to conceal from the Sitra Akhra what, of course, the Rebbe Shalom is doing. The next incident we find which involves a shirish of the Mashiach ben David is by the famous incident of Rus and Boyaz. Of course, that which we read every Shavuos. Now, to tell you the story briefly, of course, which basically everybody knows, but just as a, a very quick, brief uh, outline, Elimelech, who was a very great man in Klai Yisrael, and Naomi, his wife, and Machroin and Kilion, his two sons, they left Israel, they went to Moab, the fields of Moab, because there was a famine in Eretz Yisrael. Now, I'm not going to get into the entire ideas and so on, but basically just to, uh, just to uh, summarize the story. Now, what happened in Moab, of course, is Elimelech dies, and then his two sons married two princesses. They were the daughters of Eglon, king of Moab. Eglon was the king of Moab, and he had two daughters. And Elimelech was so prestigious that he wanted to give away his two daughters to the sons of Elimelech. And who the daughters? Which means, of course, that they were princesses. One was Rus, and the other was Orpah. So it came out that Machloin, the uh, first son of Elimelech, he marries Rus, and Kilion married Orpah. So obviously, uh, Machloin and Kilion actually married into royalty, in terms of Moab. Now, they died, leaving Rus and Orpah widows. Now, it's first Elimelech died, then they married, and then they themselves died, and Rus and Orpah, of course, remained widows. Now, uh, Rus and Naomi then returned to Eretz Israel, and Orpah decided that she wouldn't leave Moab, and she decided to stay. And Rus, of course, and Naomi decided to return to Eretz Israel, and uh, Rus would not be put off by even even by Naomi's statements that she should return. Rus wanted to go back to Eretz Israel, or rather go to Eretz Israel and be part of the Jewish nation in sincerity. Now, after this, Boyaz, who was Naomi's nephew. Uh, redeemed Machlin's memory by marrying Rus. Because if Machlin died, obviously they, uh, there was no children from Machlin and Rus. So therefore we have the same idea of a leveret marriage. In other words, Yibim. And therefore, before the Torah, as I had mentioned, <coughs> any close kin or relative could redeem or preserve the memory of the deceased husband by marrying the uh, wife. Therefore, Boyas who was uh, a nephew <coughs> to both Naomi and Elimelech, <coughs> he was a relative who could be in the position of redeeming 
Machlin's memory by marrying Rus, and that's exactly what they did. Uh, Boyas married Rus, and of course, from their marriage proceeded Oyved, they had a son called Oyved, and then he had a son called Yishai, and of course, Yishai, of course, had a son called Dovid, and uh, therefore, it comes out that Rus and Boyaz was the great grandmother and great grandfather of Dovid Hamelach. Now, if you recall, now we can go more into the uh, premise of the idea. If you recall, and of course from Dover Melech ultimately comes Mashiach. So therefore it comes out that Mashiach of course comes from Rus, the union of Rus and Boyaz. Now, if you recall, I said that the Neshama of Dover Melech, that Nitzvah that was going to be Dover Melech, originally came down into the world from the <coughs> relationship, the illicit, the incestuous relationship between Lloyd and his oldest daughter. Because the union of that relationship, of course, was Moyov. That was the son of that relationship. And at that point, as I had mentioned previously, what the Rabbonu Shalom says, Matsosi Dovid Avdi in Tilam. It says, I have, Matsosi Dovid Avdi, I have found Dovid my servant. So the Medrash says, where did I find him? So the Medrash answers, in Sidoim. Which means that Dovid HaMelech descended at that time in Sidoim. Or rather, by the incidents occurring in Sidoim, namely Lot and the oldest daughter. And that this neshama of Dovra Melech wandered, or rather was among Goyim, or appendage to the souls of Goyim, for many, many centuries. And eventually it went into Rus, and of course from Rus it went into Boyaz, when he, she married Boyaz, and then eventually it came out, of course, into Dovra Melech. That is a long trek for the neshama of Dovra Melech. Now, we can imagine how much hester that it has to be. Now... <coughs> Just like we find by the other incidents that uh, there is always the lack of yichus, basically, means that the genealogy of the shrashim generally are very poor, and that provides a hester to the sitrachra. And we also find many times that there is illicit relationships. There is some kind of chatoim or apparent chatoim going on, some kind of tumor going on. Then we would expect to find also by rus and boyas. And the truth is that we do find such a thing. Where do we find it? Where do we find this kind of zimo or some kind of hashash or apparent chet going on? And where do we find also the idea that there is no real uh, prestigious or important yichus? Where, what is the actual cover-up in this particular case by Rusenbergers? And therefore, as a result of that, this would provide the hester, of course, of the Sitra Akhra of being a Makatrik against that Sherish when it comes down or when it enters Klai Yisrael. Now, we find it in this manner. The idea of the Tumor or the Zimo or the, uh, the apparent Chet, the hester that comes from that guise, was related in this particular incident. That when they came back to Eretz Yisrael, when Rus and Naomi came back to Eretz Yisrael, so uh, Naomi wanted very much, and Rus wanted very much, to marry Boyaz because he was the individual who was fit to redeem or to be Yabim Rus, and therefore preserve or perpetuate the memory of Machlein. In fact, the Machlein is named Machlein Mochal because it means that the Roshim was forgave him, and therefore he allowed a redeemer to come and redeem his memory. This is what Chazal learned. And Kilyoin was was destroyed from the world because Machloin apparently objected to his father, the acts of his father perhaps in going away from Eretz and so on. 
and uh, Kidron, of course, did not. Therefore, Machlon itself, himself is called Machlon to indicate that the Rosh was Mechlon. And the Mechil was the fact that Rus could marry Boaz, and of course, there would be a preservation of his name itself. In any case, to go further. So therefore, Naomi wants Rus, of course, to marry Boaz in order to uh, preserve or perpetuate the name of, of Machlon. Now, Naomi told Rus to do this following scheme. Because she felt that this was the only way she would get Boyaz, who then was a godly Israel. Boyaz was the Chazal tell us in, in the Gemara of Basra that Boyaz was Ibtsan. Ibtsan was one of the Shoftim, one of the judges. So obviously Boyaz was one of the greatest men of his generation, besides being the head of the Sanhedrin. And he was one of the Gedoli Hador, which you can imagine how great Boyaz was. So therefore Naomi felt that Rus is not going to be able to marry Boyaz in any way. He wouldn't uh, take a woman who basically is a Gyurus. Now, so therefore Nomi told Rus to do this ploy, that she should dress up in all the finery, and she should go to Boyas when he is in the threshing floor, because they had, it was at the time of the barley harvest, and she knew Boyas would be up threshing or winnowing the actual barley at, in the threshing floor, and she told her to dress up, perfume herself and so on, and to go to this place, and she knew also, Norman knew that Boaz would be sleeping there to guard his barley until daybreak against thieves. And she told her that when everybody leaves, the people who are helping Boaz thresh, that she should sleep or she should go at his feet and lie down and sleep there. And hopefully in that manner, when Boaz sees that, then he'll be reminded and, th- and this would be an opportunity for Rus to tell Boaz what she wants because he's obviously going to say, who are you, what do you want? although he would recognize it because she gleaned in his field be- before. But in any case, this would be a way that Rus could remind Boyas of his obligation to marry her, in other words, to, to fulfill the mitzvah of Yibn, to perpetuate Machlin's memory. Now, even though this is after the giving of the Torah, so therefore only a brother could do it, a brother of her, her deceased husband, and Machlin, of course, had no more brothers, but still, this still is an Indian that anybody else should marry her to perpetuate the name, but you couldn't do it through the Kedushin ceremony of Yibim, you'd have to do it through regular Kedushin. You'd have to marry her legitimately according to the Torah's rules, and it, but it would still contain the, the idea, the mystical idea of the Neshama having some kind of a Yeshua if, uh, if uh, the uh, kin, the relative, would marry Rus. So therefore, even though our contradictory is not Mechuyev to do it, because there was no brother, however, the concept of Yibim, in terms of the, the Shoma having some kind of uh, memory, would still be accomplished even in this manner. Now, therefore, Rus therefore wanted this opportunity, of course, to remind uh, him of his obligation. Now, so therefore, she slept that entire night, and the, uh, the roast, Megillah, says that he woke up in the middle of the light because he was going to learn Torah, she says, and he saw and he was frightened, and then he recognized her, and she, she said that, uh, that you should marry her, uh, she said that he should marry her, and therefore preserve the memory of Machlon. So he said, don't worry, we'll wait uh, till the morning, and because there's somebody who's a close redeemer, and he wanted to see if that person would do it, and if he doesn't, then of course, he will do that. But in any case, could you imagine, <clears throat> here's a woman who is not married and she lies down in the middle of the night next to this old man, which is Yichud, 
it's clearly Yichud, even though Yichud of a Penuya was not Osa, because it first became Osa by the Bezdin of Dover HaMelech. So therefore, there was nothing wrong in the sense that she was secluding herself with a man because she was a Penuya. But even though this is obviously a completely inappropriate manner, so here's a woman, Rus, <coughs> in total seclusion with Boyas, in an intimate seclusion, and she's very secretive about it because she waited until everybody else went home and then she dressed herself up, obviously to entice him in a certain manner <clears throat> and therefore, and then, and of course it's in the middle of the night so the entire manner of what was happening indicates it's a completely inappropriate manner, right? and it's obviously, there's a lot of impurity or profanity here and of course they can easily generate a scandal at what really occurred between them, because who knows? Even though Boyas winds up marrying Rus later on, legitimately, and they have a child, who knows really who this child really, when this child really occurred? I'm just saying that this entire incident is certainly inappropriate, and it can easily leave the idea in the people's mind that what went on, of course, wasn't completely above board. So, this is the first thing which happens, and uh, uh, to indicate, or the Hester, of the idea of the uh, of a shirsh of Mashiach ben Dovid descending, even though of course nothing happened that night, but there's still a taint of immorality, even though there was no immorality, there was no real illicit relationship, but there's a taint of immorality <coughs> that possibly Oyved Yisha and Dovar Melach had come from this illicit relationship that happened between Boyas and Rus. It was just from this kind of a, a taint or a blot. Uh, obviously would also be something which is uh, a negation or negative aspect in terms of the uh, um, the Kedusha or the holiness of the lineage of the Mashiach ben David and of course David Melech himself now the second idea this is the idea of Tumor which I had mentioned is the first way that this union was to be hidden and therefore the Shirish of, Mish- of the uh, of uh, of course, of uh, Dover HaMelech and ultimately Mashiach ben David, of course, uh, can be brought into Klai Yisrael because the Shurish was already down in terms of Rus. However, its entrance into Klai Yisrael would now be when she marries Boaz. So therefore, at that time, there's again a Kitrim because even though the Shurish is down, but even if it enters Klai Yisrael, at that point in time, there's a tremendous Kitrim because what the Sitra Acha wants is that Klai Yisrael shouldn't have the Shurish. So he fights at every step of the way. First, not to come down, and second point, of course, is not to enter Klan Yisrael. The second tremendous Hester, which was apparently arranged by the Rabbanishman, and which, of course, occurred, is that there is a certain mitzvah in the Torah, and this is, of course, the genealogy of Dover HaMelech, and therefore the Mashiach and David. There's a mitzvah in the Torah that says, Le'yovoi Mo'avi Bekal Hashem. That an Ammonite and a Moabite cannot enter into the congregation or the assembly of God. In other words, even if they convert, they cannot marry into the Klai Yisrael. They cannot become part of the body of Klai Yisrael. They can only marry other Moabites or Ammonites who converted also. But they cannot marry Jews. They are apostle for uh, Nisun, for marriage. Now, there's a Halakha Moshmi Sinai that says that this only applies to men and not to women 
Why? Because the Torah provides a reason, or rather, we, the Torah alludes to the fact to this halakha that it only applies to men and not to women. In other words, women may marry if they convert, may marry Jews, because it says, Why is it that they cannot come in the assembly of God? Because they did not meet you on the way with bread and water when you went out of Egypt. So because they did not do this, therefore they do not deserve to marry into Christ's room, even though, uh, even though, of course, they uh, can convert into Christ's room, but they cannot marry into Christ's room. Now, from here we see that only men cannot, who is the one that goes out to meet weary travelers and hungry travelers? The men do, not the women. So when the Rabbanishim had a fear, a claim against the men, obviously it was only against the men because they're the ones who could have possibly done this. There was no claim against the women because women do not go out and greet hungry and weary travelers. They stay home. Therefore, obviously, it was the men that sinned and not the women. Therefore, the Torah alludes to the rationale of the Halakha al-Mashmissina by indicating why they cannot enter the assembly of God, of course, is because they didn't go out, and only men do that, not women. Therefore, women are permitted to not only convert, but also to marry in Klai Now, apparently that after Matan Torah, they forgot this halacha, that it included not only men, but it also included, it did not include women. In other words, people thought that no Moyov or no Amoin could marry, Anybody in Klaisrael, whether it be a male or female. In other words, uh, anybody from Moyav or Amorin can convert, but neither a male or female can actually marry a Jew. In other words, they forgot this halacha l'moshim Sinai, And basically they forgot it for two reasons. Obviously it fell into disuse. Because it wasn't used. Why? Because obviously no Moabitess and no Moabite converted for a long time because there was a state of war between Christ and Moyev and Amun for a long time. Therefore, nobody bothered converting. So therefore, if they did convert, then a woman would have said, well, can I marry Israel? And then the entire question, of course, would have brought up, been brought up and they would have recalled the halacha. But this halacha fell into disuse because probably it was not used for many, many years. In addition, besides that, also by all the other Averis, in the sense where the Torah uh, negates or removes different peoples from marrying into clients' well, there are no sex differences. There are no differences between male or female. For instance, by a mitzri, when the Rabbanishim says that a mitzri shall not come into the assembly of God until the third generation, when they are Jews for three generations, there's no difference between a male or a female. It's both. When the Torah says that he who is the product of an illegitimate relationship between a woman and another man and not her husband cannot come at all into Christ's world, there's no difference whether that product be a man or a woman, whether it be a mams or mamzeres. It doesn't make a difference. So therefore, because by other mitzvahs of the Torah, there's no difference in terms of a foreign nation, even after they convert, if the Torah prohibits them from marrying into Klai Israel, there's no difference between a male or female. Therefore, it was logical to assume that also by Moyav and Amoin, 
that the males and the females were pro- prohibited from marrying into Israel. In addition, as I say, it fell into disuse because obviously there were for hundreds of years there were no real converts among Moyov and Amoin because of probably the state of war that existed between them. Therefore, the halacha of Amoini v'lo Amoinus, Moyavi v'lo Moavis, was forgotten. That the Isser of Loyobi Moavi and Amoini in Kal Hashem, in the congregation of God, shall not come a more, a, a, an individual from Moav or Amoin. That this halacha only applies to Amoini, a male Amoin, Ammonite, Amoinus, and not a female Ammonite. Moavi, that it applies to a male Moabite, Moavis, and not a Moabitis, it doesn't apply to that, obviously was forgotten. Now, Clearly, this is exactly what happened between, of course, by Rus and Boyaz. That this halacha was forgotten because of disuse and because the logic of it dictated against. Finally, in the days of Boyaz, it was recalled, interestingly enough, even before Rus and Boyaz met each other, which shows you the Hashgokha Protis. And therefore, when Rus married Boyaz, of course, he was married in a legal way. However, after Boyaz married Rus, uh, people again thought that it was Asa. And the entire relationship between Boyaz and Rus again fell into disrepute. Therefore, there was a great stain, a tremendous stigma or blot on the entire Yichus of David, Oivid, and Yishai, on all of them, for a long time. This is really what happened. And the people who felt that it was Asa for Boyaz to have married Rus were actually vindicated. Because Chazal tells us that Boyaz lived one night after his marriage and then he died. And which shows the tremendous Hashgachor that he conceived Oyved on that one night. That Rus became pregnant because of only one night. And he died the next day. It was a one day marriage. And therefore the people who said that what Boyaz did was wrong felt they were justified, you see. God punished him and he killed him after one night because it was also for him, of course, to have married Rus. Therefore, this produced a tremendous stain or blot on the entire Yichus of Oyved, Yishai, and then Dover HaMelech. So therefore, again, we find that the entire idea of genealogy was, of course, tainted by Rus and Boaz. And the same, also another idea is the fact that the entire relationship that they had was initiated, of course, by an apparent uh, midnight affair which nobody really knows what really happened. Now, it is interesting to note that Rus and Tomo are very similar in the circumstances which surrounded them. Rus by Boyaz and Tomo by Yehuda. And actually there are I'm going to enumerate eight different kinds of similarities that occurred between them both. Both of them lost their husbands. Rus lost Machrain, and Tomar, of course, Rus lost uh, Machrain, and Tomar, of course, lost Er and Oinon. So they both lost their husbands. Both were daughter-in-laws of great men. Rus was a daughter-in-law of Elimelech, who was a god of Israel, and Tomar, of course, was a... Uh, a daughter-in-law of Yehuda, of course, who was one of the greatest of Shvatim. In addition, that both of their both of their father-in-laws, of course, came from the tribe of Yehuda. Boyaz was from the tribe of Yehuda. He was a direct descendant from Nachshon ben Aminadav, who, of course, is the direct descendant from Peretz and from Yehuda. And of course, Tom, of course, was also 
father was also from Yehuda because of course her father was Yehuda himself. Now both sought Yibam from the family in order to perpetuate the dead husband's memory. In other words, both Toma wanted to preserve or perpetuate her husband's memory, namely Er Noinon, and therefore wanted to have Yibam perform, she wanted to be involved in Yibam, and also Rus. She wanted to perpetuate the name of her husband, Machlon, and therefore she also wanted to, she also sought the, the, uh, the institution of Yibim to be done. And as such, there was a tremendous chesed that they did. And many Mephoshim um, bring out the chesed that was done by Rus and also, uh, by Rus and also even by Toma. And the idea is that, in fact, even Boris remarks to Rus that it's remarkable that you want to perpetuate the name of your dead husband's memory so much that you're willing to marry an old man. Rus was a young woman. She could have easily had married any other people. She was also a very beautiful woman. The fact that she chose Boyaz, who's old obviously, is a remarkable thing and it shows you the tremendous chesed that she was willing to do, as Boyaz himself points out in the Megillah, the tremendous chesed that she was wanted to do in order to preserve the memory of her husband. Now, also both were, and as I mentioned, therefore was a tremendous chesed. And as such, both were willing, of course, to marry older men for their husband's sake. Bruce was willing to marry Boyaz, and of course, uh, Toma was willing to marry Yehuda, who was far older than her. Also, both wanted to be part of Klai Israel. They wanted to be part of Klai Israel in terms of having children who are Jewish. They wanted the children of Judah, Yehuda, to descend from them. Also, both were tzaddikis, tzitkonias, they were both righteous. And of course, both had the shroshim of the Mashiach ben David come from them. And we see that in both instances, that the Hester that appeared by both of them, of course, was in a tumor guise. In the apparent uh, relationship that occurred between them was, of course, in the guise of a chet in the guise of an Avira. This then, of course, is the incident of Rus and Boyaz, where we see that Rus and Boyaz, of course, was the ancestor of Dovar Amelech, and the same idea that when Dovar Amelech is about to enter Kali Yisrael via Rus, where his neshama had been wandering for hundreds of years in Moyav, that he makes his entrance on a relationship that had a taint from the beginning, and that he makes his entrance into a, into a relationship where everybody's wondering if Boaz is even muted to marry Rus. Is the product of this union, Oyved, is this person possible? Because you're not allowed to marry a Moavis. Because they had forgotten the halacha that a Moavis is muted to marry a Jew. So therefore, the genealogy of Yishai and Oyved and Dovid was tainted, as well as the original relationship, because who knows really what went on between Rus and Boaz in the night of the threshing floor. Besides the fact, of course, that the original relationship between Yehud and Toma was tainted, and we go back to the original relationship even of, uh, of Moyov, where Rus came from, which came from Lloyd Ubnoisov. So you talk about taints in terms of genealogy, you talk about taints in terms of the illicit relationships that could very well have possibly have gone on. Now, to continue. The next incident, and really it's, one of, it's probably the most remarkable incident of all, and we can really understand why. The next incident of the Ashurish of Mashiach ben David, of course, coming down 
and therefore, of course, requires great Hester, is the birth of Dovar HaMelech himself. And also the growth or the childhood of Dovar HaMelech himself. Now, what am I referring to? Now, it's important to remember, especially in the events which I'm going to recount, why there was such a tremendous Hester. And we'll see that the Hester by Dovar HaMelech was greater than all the ones before. Was because that, first of all, he was the first king of Israel. The first true king of Israel, and by the word true, I mean that the royal line of sovereignty would come from him permanently, because Shaul, of course, lost it. So therefore, the true royal lineage, the true uh, kingship would emanate from Dovar HaMelech in a permanent basis. So therefore, he was the true first king of Israel. And in addition, he was also the Esuid of the Mashiach bin Dovid, which I had mentioned that Yehud had lost it, and of course it was given to Dovid HaMelech. Therefore, as a result of this, it would require the greatest Hester of all in order to bring Dovid HaMelech into Klai Yisrael, to bring a Yesuid of the Mashiach bin Dovid, to bring a permanent royal line of sovereignty, the true first king of Israel would require awesome Hester. Now, even though David did not do the tasks of the Mashiach when David, he was a Mashiach because the word Mashiach means anointed. David HaMelech was anointed to be king. And the truth is that the Mashiach when David is nothing more than a king who descends from David who is also anointed to do his task. So therefore, David HaMelech was a Mashiach. He was anointed and as such he was a Mashiach. Although, of course, he didn't do the tasks or rather the task of the Mashiach when David. Therefore, as a result, since he would be a true anointed king, the first true anointed king of the uh, permanent royal line of sovereignty, and he would be a Sayyid of the Mashiach David, he would have to have the greatest Hester of all. And that would mean, of course, several ideas. That his birth and his childhood would have to be steeped in Chatoim, or apparent Tumah, or Chet. In addition, that it would have to seem that there is no real yichus at his birth. There would have to be a taint in his genealogy at his birth. And there would have to be an apparent chet or tumah at his birth. And the, another idea is that even in his development, as he grew up as a child, there would have to be seen that there was no kedusha, that he's on the contrary, an ordinary man. That's how far the revolution would have to go to hide from the sitra achor, the idea that Dovid HaMelech would be coming into Klai Israel. So we see that the Rebbeinu clearly wants a complete and an utter concealment and darkness in the Indian of Mashiach. And in the case of Dovid HaMelech, of course, it was tremendous. Now, where do we see this? <clears throat> After Rus had married Boaz, I had mentioned that he died the next day. So she conceived on that first night, on the only day that she was married to Boaz. So people said that Boaz probably was punished because the marriage itself was also. That it was also for him to have a relationship with Rus and because the haloch is probably that no anybody from Moyov cannot marry, even if they convert, they cannot marry into the body of Klai Yisrael. And therefore, and therefore Boaz was of course punished and that's why he died the next day. Now, there's a very interesting Chazal which is not known to many people. And Chazal say that as a result, of course, of the Pagam or the stain or the, the blot on, on uh, Boyaz and Rus as a result of them, then 
there was obviously a taint in the, uh, on the genealogy of Oyvet, who was their son, and Yishai, who was the grandson. In other words, that they probably were apostles to marry in Israel. And even though they felt that the Sanhedrin, the Bezdin of Boyaz, permitted this, but you never really know. Apparently, people still doubted the entire halacha. Now, it says also that Yishai, of course, was a tremendously great man. Yishai was among the four people who never sinned. There are four individuals who never sinned at all, and they only died because the fact that death was ordained from Odom Rishon, not because of their own sins. So I said that Yishai was among those people who never sinned at all. So obviously he was a tremendous sadik. Obviously. Now, what, what entered at that time was a tremendous fear in Yishai. And he feared that Boaz Ubez Dinoi perhaps was incorrect about Rus. That maybe they made the mistake. They, and, and, and therefore Rus was really possible to marry Boaz. And therefore he himself would come out to be a descendant from an illicit relationship. Well, actually, he actually would come out to be a descendant of Moyov. Therefore, as a result of that, he was perished from his wife for many years. He separated from her. He refused to live with his wife at all because he was afraid that if his Rus was possible, therefore he therefore was possible, of course, to also live with a Jewess. Therefore, he separated from his wife for many years. And what he did was he took a Shifcha Kananas, a Canaanite slave, a maid, when he took her, he made a tenai. He made a condition. This is what he said to her. He said that if I am a Yisrael, you know, if it is permitted for me to have relations with a Jew, then you are free. You know, he freed this Shifra Kananis and he made this condition that if he is really Jewish in the sense that he's permitted for him, he is Jewish, of course. But if, because his Rus, everybody knows that she was a Yisrael, uh, there was no question about that. But he said, if, if it is permitted for me to have relations with you, okay, then, then you are free. And then she would become a Jew. Because if you free a Shifra Kananis, she of course becomes Jewish. If you are not, or rather if I am not, he said himself, that if he is not permitted to have relations with a Yisrael, because he's really possible, then she has to remain a Shifra. And apparently it's permitted for a person, a convert, a Moyov who is a convert, to have relations with a Shifra Kananis. Now, so therefore he had relations only with the Shifra Kananis and not with his own wife, because Yisha was a tremendous Sadiq and he was afraid that, even though he, and interestingly, he had, he already had many children from his former wife, but for some reason it ended at that, at that point, he was afraid that he was possible, therefore he abstained from his wife for many years. Now, his, the Shifra saw that his wife had tremendous sorrow, tremendous pain that, that, uh, that uh, Yishai separated from her because she wanted to have more children from him. So she said, look, I'll switch places with you, just like Rochel and Leah. That Leah switched places with Rochel, you switch places with me and he'll never know the difference. Okay? And that's exactly what happened. And as a result of that, his wife miraculously became pregnant on that one time. Okay? Now, three months later, all of a sudden, his wife is pregnant. Now, he knows he never had relationship with his wife, right? And he didn't know of what occurred. So, therefore, the obvious conclusion is that what? That, this, that his wife had illegitimate relationships with another man, and she's an Ashish. Therefore, this child who she's pregnant with must be a mamzet. Therefore, it comes out that 
the child who she was carrying, which of course is Dover Melech, Yishai thought was a mamzer. Now, not only Yishai thought, but all the children thought that way. So Yishai said to, because his son, the sons of Yishai knew that he had separated from his uh, wife. They knew this. Okay? And he said to them, look, he said, you know, and they all knew what was happening. So Yishai said to them, he said to the sons, don't tell anybody what happened. Just forget about it in that sense. In other words, because we don't want to destroy the mother's reputation. Because obviously she's an Asian that had an illegitimate relationship with another man, and the child that's being born is a mams or mamzeres, depending on what comes out. So let's keep it quiet and not destroy the mother's reputation, because in effect you'd be destroying your own by saying this is kind of a mother you have, and obviously who's going to want to marry in that way. So therefore he was, of course, perished from his wife, because now if uh, he thought that, of course, she was an Asian that had. Uh, relationships outside himself and therefore it's even also for him now truly to have relations with his wife and he Yishai and all the children of course treated this child Dovar Melach, with contempt and servitude this is the way they treated him and uh, they, in fact the Yishai himself said that uh, he's a mamza therefore treat him as, a, as an Eved and he's ob- objectionable to us but nobody they said nothing to anybody else now, people observed this treatment that Dovah that got, and they did likewise. But they didn't really know what happened. They didn't know that, according to Yishai and the sons, Dovah was really a mamza. But they thought the reason why they are treating him with such contempt is obviously because he's obviously a Russia. He's very evil. So it comes out that everybody treated Dovah Melech, Yishai and his sons treated Dovah Melech as if he was a mamza with contempt and servitude, and everybody else treated him as if he was a Russia. So it comes out very interesting enough that nobody knew who Dovr Melech was. Mm-hmm. Not Yishai, not his seven sons, not the community knew, because they all thought he was a Russia, and even Shmuel Hanovi, who came to anoint David, also did not know who he was. And what was the incident of that? As it says in Nach, that the Rebbe said to Shmuel, Go, go to Beislechem, go to the house of Yishai, and there you will appoint a new king among one of Yishai's seven sons. And the Rajim did, or rather, among one of Yishai's sons, and he didn't say who. So, of course, Shmuel Hanovi uh, went, and he went to Beislechem, and he told Yishai, Come to me with all your sons, uh, and uh, of course, because he wanted to anoint the new king of Israel. So what happened? So Yishai comes with all his sons, and there were seven of them. And of course he did not come with David, because Yishai, David, David is not a son, he's a mamzer. And what David, David was doing at that time is he was tending the sheep, or the flock, at the time that Yishai and his seven sons were going to Shmuel in order for one of them to get anointed. Can you imagine how, what they thought of David? So... Uh, <clears throat> Shmuel takes a look at Eliov, the oldest one, and the oldest son was very tall, he was very beautiful, very handsome, and he was a tremendous tzaddik. So he thought, this must be it. So the Bosham appeared to Shmuel and said, look not at the outward appearance, because I have rejected him from being, of course, the true king. So he went through each of the ch- children and finally gets to the last son, and nobody was it. So wait, something doesn't make sense. How could nobody be the, the, uh, the, the king, the Melech Yisrael? 
Obviously, the Rebbeim told him that Yishai, among Yishai's children, will be the king. And now, in effect, there is no child that will be king. Something doesn't make sense here. And I just want to mention that it says in Nach Shivas Bonov and his seven sons. It doesn't say Shivo Mi Bonov, seven of his sons. Because Yishai considered he only had seven sons. He doesn't have an eighth son called David. Because David, of course, is a mamza and he's contemptuous and he does servitude kind of work. And nobody had any inkling of the incredible Kedusha or Tzitkus of Dovar Melach. Now, therefore, um, David, of, uh, and of course, we know that David was in the pasture with the sheep. Now, then Shmuel said, Do you have anybody else? So he says, I have another son who is tending the sheep. And he's like, he didn't even bother to bring him. So of course, <clears throat> he brought him. And when Shmuel looked at David, he was, David Melech was very short. And he was of reddish complexion. So Shmuel Melech, uh, Shmuel, I should say Shmuel Hanobi, couldn't, couldn't see that this is the king of Israel. I mean, forget about the ideas of what Yisha was thinking about and all the seven sons sitting there incredulous at about what was about to happen. So the Rabbi Shalom appeared to Shmuel and said, in a sense, what are you waiting for? He is it. Anoint him. And which, of course, he anointed Dovar uh, to be the king of Israel. And it says also, Chazal say that the oil in the horn where you carry the oil of anointing started bubbling as Dovar Melech got near, which shows that the oil itself was anxious to get on him. It shows you how much it was obvious that Dovar Melech was a true uh, king of Israel. So we see here that <coughs> here's Dovar Melech, <coughs> who, who his entire yichus was in question. How? Because either way, if Yishai, if if uh, Yishai had had relations with his wife and Dovid would have come from that, in other words, if Yishai had known that Dovid was really from him, so the tremendous stigma on the Yichos would be that, number one, that he descends from Moyov. In other words, his ancestress is a woman who was a Gyrus from Moyov. And that is not a very great Yichos, number one. And number two, <coughs> that the, uh, the, uh, the uh, relationship itself would have been puzzled. So the Yichas would have been tainted, even had Yishai known that he, he was having relations with his wife. So the Yichas would have been puzzled because the Yichas would have been in question because the whole Yichas only comes from Moyav. And the entire act that, that the Yishai would be having with his wife itself may be an illicit relationship because it's very possible that Rus herself, it was possible for Boyas to, or also for Boyas to marry her. Therefore, on that side, there would have been a tremendous stain or stigma on the Yuchus of Dovar Melech, and the relationship that Yishai had with his wife itself would have been questioned as an illicit, illicit relationship. Now, certainly on the other side, where Yishai didn't even know that he had relations with his wife, so therefore the Yuchus of Dovar Melech was not from Moyov, therefore it's a possible illicit relationship in terms of Moyov, but it was far worse that the genealogy of David was Mamzerus, which of course is far worse than the relationship of, uh, of, of Sul that would have come uh, had Rus bin Osa to marry Boaz. So therefore his yichus would have been the fact that he would have been a Mamzer, and the Tumor would be the fact that his wife had relationship with another man, Mamish Ashes Ish. 
which of course is one of the most homodigalavim, one of the greatest prohibitions in the Torah. So you can imagine that either way, Dovar Melach would have been would have been uh, would have been struck down. Now, not even that, but even after Shmuel Anovi anointed Dovar Hamelach, you still had that stain on his genealogy. Because even though now Yishai knew who David really was, namely it was really his own son, and now had an eighth son, still, it was always in doubt in terms of the genealogy from Moyov. Why Rus was a Guris. Even though Rus was kosher to marry, even though Rus was kosher to marry, um, uh, Boyas, and therefore it wouldn't be an illicit relationship. But still, you never know, uh, or rather, the genealogy of David still is from Moyav. And it's interesting that from the time that Shmuel anointed um, uh, David Hamelach until the time that David became king, they still didn't know of the halacha if it was mutter for Rus to have married Boaz because Shola Melech asked when David was going out to fight Goliath he said who is this lad this individual so uh, and Chazal said that the reason why he asked that was because uh, David put on the armor of Shaul and Shaul was a very tall person and David was very short and the armor fit perfectly so Shaul who knew who David was before, before he said who is this person is this person really to be a king so Doig, what Doimi said, who was one of the greatest sages of Christ at that time, said, until you ask if he can be a king, why don't you ask if he can be Jewish in the sense if he can marry anybody? So you see that even at that time, it was questionable if Rus was permitted to marry Boyaz. And of course, even after everything was solved, in other words, even though Yishai knew that he wasn't a mamzer, and, uh, and even after David, of course, became king, and therefore Rus was permitted to marry Boaz, still, the lineage of Dovra Melech is still from a Moabitess, okay, Moabi. So therefore we see that the entire Yichus or genealogy of Dovra Melech was held in question to the extent where he was thought to be a Mamzer, far worse than the other people before him. And the second thing is that his birth was done in an apparent guise of Chet, Tumah, and the fact that they thought he was a mamza, and not only that, but his entire upbringing was completely hidden. They thought him to be evil. So we see that the kedusha of Dover Hamelak was completely hidden, because not only was he not considered to be mediocre, they could have just said, "Well, he's okay. He's not a Russia, right? But he's a mediocre individual." But it's not, it's not that they thought he was mediocre. They thought him to be a Russia. So we see, in terms of what extent, the Rebbeinu Shalom hid the idea or the Hester of Dover HaMelech because he as I said was a true first king of Israel and from him would emanate Mashiach and therefore the, his birth was tainted far worse than anybody before because everybody thought he was a Mamzer his Yichus was tainted because Mamzerus is one of the worst Yichusim you can have and even his upbringing everybody thought he was a Russia or he was an evil person even Shmuel Anovi, let alone Yishai and the sons and the community, even Shmuel Anovi did not recognize who, of course, Dover HaMelech was. So therefore we see that when it finally came to bringing out the true first king of Israel, the Rebbein had to bend over backwards, even to make a far greater Hester than he has ever made before, by actually allowing people to think that this individual was a Mamzer, therefore the tremendous tumor that surrounds his birth, 
the tremendous pagam on his genealogy, and even later that people thought he was a Russia. This apparently is what happened by Dover Hamelach.